we have a lot of newer grads or nursing students that um, tend to listen to us too. And so um, talk about how many nurses you employ RNs. Are you moving towards a baccalaureate prepared staff? And then who, who, are, who do you hire? Well, our experience over the last two to four years was um, we've, we've seen the experienced applicants just sort of dry up and they're just not out there. They're either not moving or um, they're just, they're not, they're not out there. And so we've seen most of our applicants are coming from the, the new graduates. And so, you know, relationships with the schools and making sure that we got real creative and got some, um, we have some innovative programs at Mercy. When you, you know, get out of school, we have a nurse apprenticeship program. So as you're waiting to take your boards, um, we start you on orientation with some of your didactics and some of the things that you don't need your nursing license for. And so you can come spend that time and with they're us. employed. Yeah. This episode of Friends of Flow is brought to you by NCLEX Mastery. If you're a nursing student and you're about to take your NCLEX, you need to go to the App Store right now and download NCLEX Mastery. Welcome back. This is um, another episode of Friends of Flow. That's Friends of Florence Nightingale. My name is Tess Judge Ellis, and I'm joined by my friends and colleagues. Hi, I'm Rebecca Porter. Hi, I'm Andrew Witters. Hi, hi, ladies. Hello there, Andrew. <laughs> and Andrew. <laughs> so all of us are in nursing, and uh, we and different are... Different parts of nursing. Different parts of nursing. Yeah. And so Indeed. hopefully you've listened to some other podcasts and uh, get to know us better, but I thought we'd take another... We do have a really exciting guest today, so we yeah. want to first, though, kind of catch up on where we've been, what we've been doing the last couple of weeks, Becker. You start. Oh, let's see. I was up in Minneapolis last week and I gave a talk at the um, VA on moral distress and I called it moral distress, a catalyst for change. It was really interesting. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I love the VA. That's oh, where we got started, Becky. People, mm-hmm. I know. Remember mm-hmm. 20 years ago, mm-hmm. Tessie, mm-hmm. our offices were next door to each other. We were scared <laughs> new nurse practitioners. So what you, you talked about moral distress. As talked a catalyst about for change. That mm-hmm. was really cool. A presentation. And who was the audience then? Um, program directors primarily from and um, from the VA in the Midwest. Cool. Did you see our Mary Kanak no, at all? No, okay. I didn't. Hi, Mary. No, I didn't. <laughs> okay. So, so that was really fun. Um, what was the gist of it, Becky? What was the gist of it? Of what? Of your talk. I mean, what was the? How long was it, and what did you do? I had an hour and a half to talk. Uh huh. What a gift! Mm-hmm. Um, and this was to people who were not working at the bedside. Some of them were nurses who had left bedside nursing and now were doing um, program development. And the VA has an initiative this year for um, dealing with moral distress. So they are charged by the VA with developing programs. So my, I was asked to talk about it. So I did an introduction of the topic and the, um, the consequences of moral distress and, um, it's sort of um, how, how it is a catalyst for, cha- for change, both within ourselves and within an organization. Um, so like, ta- mm-hmm. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, there's just like a lot of internal disruption when you're in distress. Right. And it is an opportunity then for, like, it's because it's an internal thing, but it affects the system. Right. And then for caregivers, it's got to be... It's very difficult. So what we, think, what, the, what we think about moral distress and have for a long time is that 
it's caused when we don't act. When it's not an emotional distress, it's when we are not able to meet our moral obligations to our mm-hmm. patients or to one another because of constraints that can either be internal or external. I think that I am going out on a limb here, but I really think that a lot of moral distress is caused by organizational systems that. Um, nurses are increasingly put into situations where they don't have resources, where there aren't enough staff, where there's poor communication. And these are organizational problems that nurses, as they're trying to do their work, are being confronted with. And totally. So, so when we talk well, and about... ultimately, it's the patient. Well, absolutely. The patient that's going to suffer, suffer because right. the nurse is so intimate with the patient and... Right, their caregiving right. and their health. And they... so when we talk about resilience, mm-hmm. um, my hackles get up a little bit because I feel that nurses are being blamed for feeling moral distress, that there's something wrong with sure, them. Sure, 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 sure. And just because I'm feeling moral, morally distressed doesn't mean that you are. It's mm-hmm. a very personal thing. But I think that telling somebody to buck up and get with it oh, is yes. wrong. Well, I love that. We have to do, what is it, 80% more with 20% less? Yeah. And all this, like, yeah. then the metrics of measuring it. And, oh, my yeah. gosh, what if you don't get it? And it is, it does, there is a lot of blame on nursing staff. And right. Well, you know, we, we did, one of our earlier podcasts was on moral distress, and that yep. was a really, we'll point people right in that there. direction. So do you, is, I bet there was good discussion generated at this. There or? was some really good conversation about um, what and I of found. of course, you know, the veterans, it's about the vets, it's a, too. And, and that is a lovely thing the about the focus, system is of the VA is, is I hate the... VA getting bashed. Oh I my hate gosh. the VA getting bashed and because I just want to say to the God going down. I, I just want to say, quit having stupid wars then. I mean, and I'm a veteran and my husband's a veteran. And I mean, quit having wars. Yep. If you want to not have vets in a veteran's health assessment, you know, quit having wars. Figure the peace. Yeah, figure out the peace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's why we elect Well, that's the... a cool. That's anyway, cool that what you're doing. Yeah. really fun. So, Andrew, what have you been up to? Um, well, a, a couple of things. I've had quite a, quite a few things. One of the favorite professional things I've been sort of working on is developing some nursing theories, which I find. I really love that, yeah. Andrew. Walking really, out, you nerd, you. Yes, yes, totally. <laughs> so, so it's, it's kind of what I do once I get the the kids to bed as I reflect on my day, and I just I, I am kind of nerdy like that. I mean, so I, I just kind of write this stuff down. I'm like, huh, this is interesting, and. This is how I can better the process. And, hey, I think I can make a theory out of this. And so, uh-huh. Oh, we have so, to talk about that. Tessie and I have had our theories while we're working out at the gym. We talk about that's, it. Is that right? <laughs> and Tessie, I've, been, look, I've been having a fun time um, doing my own nursing assessment on the system of care for people with serious mental illness in the community. And I'm really enjoying looking at the community as like the hospital system, but in the community arrangement and so where's nursing doing with these populations where's the systems of care and um, it's taken me on fun quests that are, is really um, I'm having a really good time um, just asking questions and here's what I would challenge this is nursing and I'm glad this because this will segue into our guest um, because I think that nursing is really really strong when we ask two questions one is who costs you the most money who costs you the most money, and where are your outcomes not where you want them to be? Oh, and those cash. are, and if you can, if you as a nurse yeah. can look at a system that way, if you want to 
Um, even if it's just at the unit level, do you know, at the very basic unit level where we costing a lot of money and where our outcome's not very good, and just start asking questions and always coming back to the patient. I think that the system is so fragmented now. It's and a not total, blaming the patient. Not blaming the patient, not blaming right. anything or the family. Right. Because it's there's so much chaos right now in healthcare and um, right. Lots of uncertainty, and if nursing is going to be at nursing's best self, we need to have the confidence to ask those questions. And um, so I'm taking my, you know, because I'm duly prepared right in psych and family practice, and my, if I want to really look at this problem of of the person, the patients that, like I said, the people with serious mental illness, and oftentimes that means past incarcerations or substance using problems, and where's their health home? Who's providing their health home, and how can we leverage the cost that it takes to, to to for the ED visits and the hospital stays and stuff, and maneuver that so that we're doing a better job in the community? But that's really fun. I hope we can bring some folks on for a pod in the future. So, well, that, that, anyway, that, that's really a lot to think great. About. Then, on terms yeah. of, and then to add, add to that, with a changing healthcare system politically. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I mean, You're going well, for and, and the you skinny know, repeal now. So, yeah, who yeah. knows about who knows this stuff. This is totally... So how's that for a Band-Aid that I just ripped off? That's right. right? Oh, so. Way to go, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. So there we go. It's fun to catch up with you guys and, and yeah. find out um, how we're doing things, how we're staying balanced. And so... Um, and, but I don't know what else we have to talk about before we just take a little break right now. But Andrew, do you want to introduce your guest and then we'll take a break oh, and then, yes. because we're excited. I would love to. Um, we're excited. So go I, ahead. You guys, I have. And it's our guest, really, our guest. It's, it's However, our, Andrew sponsored the guest today. Yeah, right. So, so it's, it, it is indeed. And so I have the Mary Bros here. Uh, so she's our uh, chief nursing officer at Mercy Medical Center in Cedar Rapids. Also, our uh, senior executive for patient care services, and so I'm really excited to have her on. And well, you know, and this, yeah, I mean, then this goes forward. We've been talking a lot uh, about to um, newer grads and to nursing exactly. students about leadership and stuff. So we'll take a. And mm-hmm. I have lots of questions about being an administrator. I, about role, what nursing I administration? Would, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. a role I've never gone into. I failed my first interview as an <laughs> assistant nurse manager, and, I, and that was the end of my administrative career. <laughs> well, let us take a little break, and then we'll jump right back in. Lovely. Okay, welcome back. We have our excited to have our our guest, Mary Brobst. 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 B R O. BST. BST, Mary Brobst. Yeah, it's and one, I was exci- one little ball with all those consonants. It's confusing, but <laughs> thanks. And so we're really lucky because Mary is, as Andrew said, the chief nursing officer and the senior vice president for patient care services of this hospital. So Mary, talk a bit about your hospital and um, your background. Sure. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, I have been the chief nursing officer and senior vice president for patient care services at Mercy Medical Center Cedar Rapids now for almost four years. Um, I arrived to Cedar Rapids from my um, home community of St. Louis, Missouri, um, and my husband is from Northwest Iowa, and we've been married about 35 years. So Iowa has been a part of my life um, for at least 36 years. So I'm excited to be um, here in the great state of Iowa 
and I have a daughter who's attending the University of Iowa. So it's um, it was for all the right reasons. It was a good um, career move for me to leave St. Louis and come to Mercy Medical Center. I'd spent the last 21 years in St. Louis working for two large healthcare systems, which has kind of become the norm now um, for many healthcare systems. But Mercy Medical Center is an independent community hospital, and so I. And how many beds? Um, we are licensed for about 459 beds. Okay. Um, we typically, because we went to um, pr- all private rooms about 10 years ago, and so we have about 250, um, the capacity for about 250 beds. Okay. Typically, our, our inpatient acute census runs um, anywhere from 100 to 130, and then we've got about um, a census of about 70 in our post-acute services. So we've okay. got... Um, a transitional care unit that's kind of like a SNF that's actually housed within the hospital. We also have a private uh, residential um, community, two floors called Hallmar, um, that is um, a residential uh, facility that's attached to the hospital. So the for, community that loves for? that. That's for um, people in the community who can no longer stay in their homes. Mm-hmm. And so they want, and it's a, it's, again, it's a private um residential facility that they pay for and that becomes their home, their residence, and we care for them um, because their needs, their healthcare needs have gotten so great that they can't stay safely at home or their caregivers, their loved ones who have been caring for them can no longer care for them in their home. So talk about your um, nursing, like uh, we have a lot of newer grads or nursing students that um, tend to listen to us too. And so um, talk about how many nurses you employ RNs? Are you moving towards a baccalaureate prepared staff? And then, um, I don't know, what other who, questions? Who, are, who do you hire? Well, yeah, just sure. what, are the, quality, what yeah. are the qualities that you look for in, 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 a, in a new nurse? Sure, so I'll try to remember all those questions. Sure, so we, um, we actually, Mercy Medical Center employs around um, 3,000 staff, um, but that is probably about 900 nurses throughout our system, and that involves our clinics as well as the main campus, as well as some of our outlying. We have a um, healthcare plaza that does dialysis and um, the physical therapies and and some imaging. So we've got different um, And all that's campuses. under your purview? Wow. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, so we um, look for nurses who are, we've got great affiliations with, you know, the five or six different schools of nursing in our corridor. So certainly we have a relationship with Mount Mercy because that, you know, I mean, that was our original connection with right. um, Mount uh, Mercy and the nursing mm-hmm. school. Yep. And then we've got co-college and... Um, we have uh, Kirkwood Community College right there in Cedar Rapids, but then we also have a good relationship with the University of Iowa, of course, um, down here in, in Iowa City, as well as Kaplan um, has mm-hmm. uh, graduates uh, that we also um, interview and, and employ. So uh, we're very diverse um, as when it comes to you know the the students that we have clinicals for. We try to we have a coordinating council where we we try to be very. Um, Switzerland and making sure that we give all schools of nursing equal, you know, time and opportunities for their students. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, I think that's one of the greatest challenges is, you know, if in order for us to grow our student population, we have to be really um, sort of uh, innovative and creative in, in bringing on different clinical sites. Cause that's the, mm-hmm. one of the limiting steps for getting students um, in through their clinicals. So, uh, but quality- and does that often end up who you hire? 
Well, I think that, I mean, when I reflect on my own career, and I don't know what the three of you, you know, what your experience was, but we hear from our students that if they have a good experience in their clinicals, then they tend to then have a relationship with you as an em- sure. potential employer. Sure. Um, I but I, but things are very competitive out there. And so, you know, they look at, they're looking at all things. They're looking at not only um, what's my quality of life going to be, what shift am I going to be working on? Because, you know, they nurses coming out today don't typically want to sign up and say, oh, yep, I know I have to work the night shift. And for so many years before Man, I get the on day. that oh, day, gosh. Yep, that's mm-hmm. just not reality anymore. They're looking for the balance of, you know, I if I can get a job where I can work Monday through Friday and no weekends and no holidays, I'm going for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that as the nursing shortage has um, increased, the opportunities for new graduates to be in those settings um, that weren't afforded um, previous generations of nurses, yeah. um, that they're they're going for it. <laughs> right, so right. What, what happens to hiring registered nurses? And um... well, our experience over the last two to four years was um, we've we've seen the experienced applicants just sort of dry up, and they're just not out there. They're either not moving, or um, they're just they're not they're not out there. And so we've seen most of our applicants are coming from the, the new graduates. And so, you know, relationships with the schools and making sure that we got real creative and got some, um, we have some innovative programs at Mercy. When you, you know, get out of school, we have a nurse apprenticeship program. So as you're waiting to take your boards, um, we start you on orientation with some of your didactics and some of the things that you don't need your nursing license for. And so you can come spend that time and with they're us. employed. Yep. Yep, yep, employed. That's nice. And it's it's kind of a um, it's a it's a bump in income from if you were a patient care tech or if you were in another role, the non licensed role. It, it sort of meets halfway sure. between that new grad rate and you know mm-hmm. so that you're getting paid at a higher rate. You're getting sure. your benefits if that's important to you. Although with the law change and insurance sure. going until they're twenty six. New grad nurses are less interested in healthcare benefits and actually more interested in... Never even in thought about that. Reti- yes. Mm-hmm. It's had a huge mm-hmm. impact on... I bet it has. Mm-hmm. And they're le- they're more interested in retirement benits and and sort of benefits beyond the immediate. So it's mm-hmm. kind of an interesting shift. How long do people tend to stay? Like, what's the tenure for staff nurses well, at Mercy? I, sure, I don't know where it is anywhere. Right. We are getting younger and younger as the years go by. So we've Good. got probably about 50% of our um, nurses employed are millennials. And, um, you know, we've kind of got this um, sort of almost a two humped um, sure. p- uh, demographic, if you will, where we've got, you know, an influx of nurses who have one to five years experience. And then we've got um, a large contingency of nurses who have the 15, 20, 25, 30 years of experience. It really gets interesting oh with intergenerational mm-hmm. challenges of For working sure. together. I know where I work, we've had, um, we've had short center rounds on intergenerational workforce and, and it got pretty heated and a lot of teasing going on, but it was really fun to hear the stories of uh, brand new staff who are you know, 20 to 23 years old working with staff who are 65 and over mm-hmm. and how well they work together mm-hmm. and the partnership that evolves. So it can be good. Oh, right. absolutely. So one of the things I've, I've sort of preached with a lot of my students um, when there's a bimodal you know, distribution of uh, in your demographics, your nursing demographics like that, I've always told my, my, my younger nursing students, ask questions to these 
to these more seasoned. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well the more, the more The more seasoned uh, nurses um, as, as a mode to, to just learn and then humble yourself a little bit. Um, uh, but I, I guess to, to you, Mary, what, um, what, what advice would you give to a, to a, nur- a new nurse coming into uh, a hospital setting? Sure. As you said, ask a lot of questions, you know, yeah. look for that mentor and that nurse that you can trust that, um, you know, knows what they're doing and make sure that you um, have a good orientation and a good precepting experience to get onboarded. And if you don't, if you're in a situation, you know, when you start talking about your your moral distress, if you're in a situation where you don't have that good connection with your preceptor, don't be afraid to speak up. And, and Who do you speak to? Like, who do you go to? You go to your supervisor, your, either your shift supervisor who's there, at you know, your charge nurse, somebody who's running the unit at the time, or for sure your nurse manager. Right. So the manager of the unit, because they want to know if you're feeling the drowning. stress and drowning. <laughs> Yeah. Well, or especially if you don't have that good relationship. Conflict in right. that, it mm-hmm. can be devastating. Had, yeah, it can actually ruin your whole career. Right. Do you it's think so that it's important. important to? I mean, do they? Do you see managers in the um, setting up structures of formal mentoring? And is that part of what you guys do there, or have you seen that? Uh, what's the the nurse residency program? Yeah, and even um, yeah, I don't. Mm-hmm. I see it more because I think the nurse managers are um, pulled in so many different directions um, that they, you know, they if if they if they see it and they see a good match, yes, they can they can provide that formal um, relationship and 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 get that connection and get people. Um, to mentor others. But I think really, at least in our setting, our um, manager who oversees our nurse residency program is really that person who's shepherding those relationships that first year. Um, and so we're, we're in the process right now of, of redesigning that a little bit based on some feedbacks that some of our recent new grads have given us because um, they're not prepared to, um, and you know, you were talking earlier just about all the different constraints and um, dynamics that go on on a daily basis when, you know, the shift maybe isn't staffed as um, ideally as one would like. And so, you know, do, do you pull that nurse off her last shift of orientation because really she should be ready and she can take it? patient assignment. Um, but they're not internally, they're not ready and they're scared and they're, um, wanting to still feel that support. And so, you know, making sure that we've got some safety around those, those new grad residents so that they can safely transition from their clinical experience where they're used to taking, you know, maybe one or two or two to three patients to where, um, they're ready to take the, the full patient load of, you know, whether it's one to four or one to five to six, depending on your care setting, um, you know, ready to take that full load and don't take them off orientation early or don't Mm -hmm. try and, and, you know, cut away from their orientation experience. Yeah. So at, at your level in the administration, what, what are the biggest pressures and issues uh, concerning uh, nurses at the bedside? Sure. Well, I think it's retention for sure. Um, yep. Because they, they don't, they don't like to, they like the, their team to be stable. Mm-hmm. So they don't want their, 
their colleagues to be leaving. Um, I think what we're seeing is, you know, nurses are not staying at the bedside, at, at least not at the acute care bedside, which is in the hospital, you know, with 24-7 shifts and, and responsibility. We're just not seeing them stay at the bedside as long as maybe we have seen in, in previous generations. Yeah, we've had yeah. a, a, in our po- previous podcast, we've talked about this and the um, uh, perceived I, I don't know if it's the word pressure um, in education for nurses not to stop at the bedside, but to go on and become a certified registered nurse anesthetist or to become a nurse practitioner. And um, we're losing really great bedside nurses because somehow well, not the even message just that, but has, just like the leadership at bedside nursing well, too. There, you know, somehow the message has gotten out there that you're you're not doing it right if you stay at the bedside and my goodness if I'm a patient in the hospital who I want looking after me is that nurse who's been there for a long time well or at least the like and I keep going back to that what was it Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy um, Fallon whose kid had the Kimmel Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel apologies out there to the cyberspace to Jimmy Kimmel but it was not the experienced nurse that saved that kid's life it was the inexperienced nurse who Recognized. knew that she needed someone right now for that baby right. and knew exactly the steps to take, but who was empowered. Lo- so, right, but if so, we're losing those season yeah, nurses testing, yeah. um, well, I, I mean, think I, it's really scary. What do you scary. think, Mary? Yeah, Mary? I mean, where do you think? Cause, and then, um, yeah, go ahead. Let we'll let her answer. I know we could chirp away forever, <laughs> couldn't we? It's all. <laughs> well, I, I, it's a mix. You know, I mean, I think that you just have to um, create a, a working environment that's conducive to, you know, retaining your nurses. You will always have those that move away or relocate. Um, and you have those that want the dream of, you know, advancing quickly. But there, there has to be a balance. And I, what I worry about with nurses who are leaving the bedside after a year or two is that's their foundation. And then, and then they're trying to build on a, on a very narrow. narrow foundation. Whereas previously when we've had nurses who have been at the bedside for six or eight or even 10 years who then went on, they've got a much broader experience to, to pull from as they build on their education and and they move up in their responsibilities. Because I will tell you, coming from the state of Missouri to the state of Iowa and all of you, you know, that are nurse practitioners out there, you know, Iowa is one of the few states that has such a um, autonomous um, nurse practice act for their nurse practitioners. And so I worry about... Missouri's not good at all. No, Mm -mm, mm -mm. no, very... Sad to... Sad shout out to Missouri RNs and NPs. But, you know, we had a... It was our last podcast we got into a pretty interesting, I was listening to it recently about the discussion about, you know, because I see the new grad nurse practitioner. So, I mean, we can, uh, the new grad who goes into being a nurse practitioner and I see them as a student and then I see the, and they're more and more common, Mm -hmm. at least at Iowa. And then I see the ones. So yeah, that's it. I think the nursing foundation and identity as a nurse is really important. How many hours you need. That's a whole different I know, matter. Right? But you know I what? Well, really how, you, how you set up your clinicals right. yeah. is a whole nother yeah. topic. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then, yeah. you know, we were talking, but all of this has to do with 
the exodus of smart women from nursing, mm-hmm. right? And that and happened men, in the and, and men, well, no, right? Oh, see, but it's it, now. <laughs> I hope we get men coming into nursing. What is the percentage of men in nursing now, Andrew? I'm do you not 100 Is it sure. 10 to 15 percent? I want to say it's that. Or, Would or, our or staff like Google that? I was thinking it was 18 or 20. Was it really? Wow. I thought so. So I think bringing more men into nursing and re- and getting too many all the time. We get. Um, people who started out like Andrew, I was going to go into medical school. We get women who say that too. And then I realized something happened. And, um, but you do want a strong, strong nursing foundation, whether or not that's 10 years of clinical practice or just somebody who gets it, do you know? And that's what our job is in education is to kind of hopefully, but anyway, we won't go off into that. Let's stay in. I've learned in talking to some of the nurses around where I hang out, um, is that they come from the coasts, either coast, because those hospitals are not hiring first-year nurses. So nurses are coming into the middle of America to get their one year or two years of experience so they can go back to the coast and work. Wow, I haven't seen that happen. I, I haven't heard about that. Yeah. But you had asked earlier about, you know, are we on the bachelorette you know, path? And, yeah. You know, we have a great relationship with um, Kirkwood, and those students tend to stay local. Yep. And so, you know, because as, as an administrator, as, as our HR, you know, team, we're really looking for that tenure. I mean, there's right. an investment that the organization yes. makes in you um, when you get out of school and you become that new grad novice nurse. And then as you move from novice into experience, and then to expert, um, I mean, hopefully along the way, the organization that you're working for is investing in you and helping you with your CEUs yeah. and helping yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. develop. How much does it cost to hire a new registered nurse? Well, I've seen well, I've seen the cost of turnover be everywhere from around you know between fifty and sixty thousand dollars. Right. So when a year. when when we as registered nurses leave the bedside, we are costing the organization. Fifty to sixty thousand, and when a nurse manager leaves the unit, it's even higher. It's even higher. I've seen numbers over a hundred thousand. But I well, and I don't see new the younger nurses being so interested in the Management. leaders. There's been a that. lot mm-hmm. of um, articles in the literature just yeah. on you know, and, and again, you go back to those generational differences. So our nurse managers tend to be you know either baby boomers or um, Gen Xers who you know have work hard and work long hours Mm -hmm. and some of the people who are watching us are looking at us going well why would I want to do that Mary what drew you into administration Great question. Oh, that is fun. It's kind of a fun story I like to tell. So I remember, so my clinical background is neonatal intensive care, and I spent probably about eight years at the bedside in three different states, graduated from Arizona State University um, back in 1987, so I will date myself, and went right into the NICU, which was unheard of back then. I My teachers, you know, implored of me, please, you know, go into med surge nursing and take care of adults. And I was like, no. So somewhere along the way in California, um, one of... Uh, that, you know, annual performance appraisal time, I had my supervisor at the time say, would you ever consider being a supervisor and getting into leadership? And I was like, no, no, I've got young kids. I like to take care of the babies here. And then I go home and take care of my babies. I have absolutely no desire to do that. So then I moved to St. Louis, started at St. Louis Children's Hospital and um, actually um, endured a layoff as a staff nurse, which I thought I would never, ever. I mean, who thinks, right. who thinks yeah. that's right. ever going to happen? And so, but it gave me the next opportunity. And so what I would tell new grads out there is no matter what 
transpires in your career, um, there will always be, when a window or door closes, there will always be one that opens. And so be open to the possibilities. So as I looked for my next job and my next opportunity, I was doing an interview and there were two positions open. One was a staff nurse in a special care nursery and one was as a charge nurse. And when I was doing the interview and the nurse manager at the time asked me which position I'd be interested in, that little voice from back at that performance appraisal time came in my head and I said, well, I think I can do the charge nurse position now. So that was my illustrious start in leadership. And then we went through, as as many organizations do, we went through some, you know, leadership reorganization and restructuring. And so the three charge nurse positions, the day shift, night, evening shift, night shift, became one supervisor position. And so um, I, I, I won, if you will, that supervisor position and, and really got it. And, and um, the day shift person who had been the charge nurse was way more experienced than I was. But somebody saw something in me. Um, and said, you know, we want to give you this opportunity. And so, um, and at the time I went back, that was when I went back to um, St. Louis University to get my master's in nursing. Go Billikens. And, yeah. yeah. Go Bills. Shout out to yeah. the Bills. Yeah. And there were three the tracks. Billikens. Yeah. Right. You could do education, <laughs> you could do leadership, and you could do clinical. And so, you know, I remember trying to go through that in my head and I said, well, I haven't really been a leader that long, so I don't know if this leadership gig is going to work out for me. And so my, my um, advisor at the time said, well, you know, you go through the clinical tract because you can always fall back on your clinical skills. And I thought, well, that, that's a beautiful thing. Like, sure, I can. And so I, I did. Um, and went through the clinical tract at St. Louis University in women's and children's. So that's always been my passion, always been my love. I sort of grew up in women's and children's, if you will, became then the the first stretch was to go out of the special care nursery and manage pediatrics um, and a pediatric unit that at the time was turning over um, because inpatient peds is kind of a thing of the past in, in small community hospitals, especially in St. Louis where you have two large yeah, uh, pediatric mm-hmm. children huge. hospitals. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, labor and delivery. I started managing labor and delivery, never having been a labor and delivery nurse. So that's when I learned how you lead when you don't have the clinical knowledge. Um, and then it just kind of kept going from there. And so at, at one point, you know, I got involved in nursing informatics and I got involved in some projects and then, um, and then I just sort of set my sights on, well, I, I, I think being a CNO would be kind of cool. And so I, you know, just had some good mentors along the way and I had some good advice along the way and got myself involved in projects and, and, um, different activities that helped build that, um, experience and that, that, um, ability to be able to lead at, at an executive level. And I, and I like it because what I, you know, most nurses, uh, if you would ask them, what, what does a CNO do? They don't have a clue. They don't that know. is going to be my next question to you is, what's, is there a typical day and can, or a typical week? Or can you describe to us, what did you do yesterday? Oh, gosh, I can't even remember yesterday. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's it's interesting. That, to answer the first question, no, there is no typical day, and that's part of the reason why I love it. Every single day is different. Um, most of the times when I ask either new grads that I'm talking to or, you know, uh, when I do patient care services orientation, for instance, I, I sort of welcome them and kick that off. And when I ask them, what, you know, what do you think my job is? And everybody just looks at me with, yeah, blank stares. And, <laughs> and I laugh, and I say, well, I do... 
you know, most, many times somebody will say, well, I bet you attend a lot of meetings. And I say, yes, I do. And I said, but that's where I am your voice. I am the advocate for nursing. And actually here at Mercy Medical Center, I'm the advocate for patient care services because I've got radiology and pharmacy and the lab that also report to me. And so it's a little bit bigger than, than nursing. But um, I do, what I say is, you know, even though most hospitals and especially community hospitals are not for profit, um, it's not that we don't need to make a margin because we take that money that we make and we reinvest it in ourselves. And so, um, so we reinvest it in ourselves in, in human resources, um, in our annual merit raise, in new equipment. And so, you know, I need to listen to the frontline staff and, and have them give feedback to their leaders on what do we need. Yeah. So I liked yeah, your yeah, two yeah. questions from earlier, you know, what's costing us the most on the unit and, and what outcomes, what outcomes, outcomes. are you yeah. worried about? Yeah. And that's the, you know, I always think about that nursing leadership and the nursing managers is like the, somebody has to take the crapola that's going on at the bedside that the nurses are going through Uh and they have to understand the mission from the top because you're a company man or a woman person. You are a company person, period, right? I mean, you work for the agency too, a lot. And so somebody has to, that's where I like the first line manager. Somebody has to take the stuff from the nursing bedside, translate it up to the head shed so that the head shed gets it and then take what the head shed wants and then pass it on in a good way to the staff nursing. One of and, the things and, I've always found, sorry to interrupt, one of the things I've always found really frustrating is because I've never been one to color in the lines, like I color outside <laughs> the lines. Sure. Why yeah. are we not surprised by that? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Disruptive Disru- that you yeah, are. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah. I forgot you forgot your question? Why can't people just come and talk to you? Oh my gosh, they can't. I bet you have an they open can. door, don't Absolutely. they, Mary? Absolutely. See, and that's Absolutely. the thing. That's what I don't like is when there's no open door or the open door you can't predict so it. That's I so felt important. That I could never just go to the chief nursing officer and say, "We, this is how I'm feeling." Mm-hmm. That might and be different from system to system, though. You well, know? Oh, I, I think it takes on the leadership. But it, it takes, uh, I mean, because if, not everybody gets along with every nurse manager. I think we have to be realistic here. Oh, nurse sure. managers are people, too. And, and they've got a really, really hard job. And as you mentioned before, they're really caught in the middle of management. They are. And if they don't have the higher-up support from right. someone like then you, that, Mary, then, the, and that's then the you hardest probably, position is I, middle management. I think it is. I and think so, being a nurse manager is really almost a thankless Oops, was I supposed to not say thankless job? A nursing. nurse manager? Yeah. I think it depends on your institution. Yeah. And, you know, when I hear the words thankless, that to me is a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. Because I'll tell you what, it doesn't cost a darn bit of money to say you and show up when you're least expected and say, I've watched you guys for 10 minutes and you work like a well-oiled machine. And it's clear that you have good communication right. that costs nothing. So I'm sorry that sounded like a yeah. like a shrill, but the, but it doesn't cost anything. But that so a thankless, a thankless job see. means that leadership's not paying attention and doing fully, their job. But why can't a staff nurse walk into the what is a C suite? What does that mean? A C suite? A C suite? 
Have you ever heard that? I've never heard that. All right. Oh, sure. So the sit? C-suite's all the, all the C administrators, right? So it's your Oh, it's C-E-O. the special place. Oh, okay. oh I see. It's okay. the C-suite. C-C- Get it. S-C-N-O. The C-N-O. Sure. So I'm part of that. Do you guys have a C-suite? We kind of do. It's called administration. Do you have a better coffee spot and a place to eat lunch at that's good? No. You don't have like, you remember all the old place where the doctors got to eat somewhere else and the, like. Well, the doctors do get to eat somewhere else. Are you kidding me? get that. Doctor lounges in Don't most hospitals. I know, right? I know. You guys, okay? we actually need oh to probably um, rally ourselves and get <laughs> a little bit of a break, you, and oh, then we'll okay. come right back. Okay. Okay. Here at NCLEX Mastery, we love nurses and especially nursing students, but we need your feedback about this podcast. If you have ideas on topics or you have questions you want us to answer, shoot us a message, leave a comment, go to our Facebook page and just tell us what you think because we want to help you in the most specific way that you need that help. Thank you so much. All right, so we're back, and we were talking about the C-suite. And, and so Mary means. has an interesting story for that. Yeah. Well, I do. So I got some great advice once from one of my nursing instructors. And so I know that your audience is a lot of, you know, either future nurses or new grad nurses or young nurses. But we think other people are trying to find well, us somewhere so. out there in I, cyberspace. Yeah, I okay, go ahead. But the advice I got was when you're doing your interviews... Pay attention when if, and a, go on a tour and ask where the CNO's office is. And, and wow, because yeah, you will find out very quickly where nursing is in importance in the organization. We want you in the C-suite. I know, right? We want so we you. need a nurse uh, at the executive big, table, right. big office right. with windows and right. And so mm-hmm. I'm excited because I'm right in between the CEO and my boss. The Chief Clinical Officer, and so nursing is very elevated. At so Mercy. that's a really. Yeah, I, we very, won't very talk very about important. other institutions, but we can um, say that it's that this might be an interesting question to throw out for people to say, "Hey, where is the C-suite where you work? Where yeah, is your and chief where's your chief nursing officer? Yeah. and actually have a flow chart mm-hmm. to see who's all on the same. That's footing. the egghead in you talking about that. The flow chart. Yeah, the flow chart, and look, take I'm a look an at egghead? it. Egghead. You are. That's the highest compliment I could ever pay you, Rebecca, <laughs> is the nerd in you. When I was a little girl, my mom would tell me to be careful on the slide because I would fall and crack my head open. <laughs> and I thought when I cracked my head open, an egg would fall out. An egg, really? <laughs> I did. So for me, bringing up egghead is like totally funny. That is. So wow. where are we going to segue into next about... I, with, um, I want to know more about this. What is it like to be a CNO? What keeps you awake oh, what do, at night? Oh, what's my typical day? Yeah, my typical day is, is not a typical... I mean, every day is very, very different. Um, what keeps me up at night? Just making sure that, um, again, I think every every institution you know, strives for the highest quality of care, um, making sure that we've got the resources that the patients need, that the staff need um, at the time of when care is being delivered and, you know, making sure that we're delivering high quality, safe patient care and, and effective. We want, we want good outcomes. So everybody strives for that. And so, you know, how do you, how do you make sure that you're getting the right feedback, prioritizing all of the, um, the needs out there um, in in the right way so that we're affecting 
the greatest good for the the most of our patients. And so, um, so really my job is to, again, get feedback from, you know, my direct reports, which are the directors, right. Who then have nurse managers. And so meeting with them on a regular basis to hear, you know, what are the priorities as it relates to, um, their different units, their different departments, you know, we've got everything from, you know, replacing, you know, large systems like a nurse call system versus buying new equipment for the OR or, um, you know, if we've built a new building and we have to put resources out there or if we're um, investing in safe lifting equipment um, and and all the education that goes along with that and changing that culture of, you know, let's not just boost the patient up in bed, but let's actually go get that piece of equipment that they tell me is going to save my back from a strain or, you know, from having a workplace injury and making sure that we hardwire that into So you do a lot flow. of <clears throat> I can't imagine the advocacy that you have to do at that table that right. that and I think this is where uh, um it's it might be a thankless job sometimes what you do you know it's not as the same but I mean I don't know that um can you tell us I mean you probably can't tell a story but I mean just like us nurses or those nurses that are at the bedside, we could tell stories about how we were present and advocated for patients in a way that would bore most people, do you know? But that's the hallmark of excellence in nursing is that kind of advocacy that no one else wants to hear about. But I bet you have stories where you've had that sort of advocacy time where you've had to go to bat for nursing and the patient, but it's at a total, it's in a boardroom. Sure. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, does Mary, feel like, yeah. what does it, what does feel, it feel like, like when you have a success? Yeah. yeah. Or, oh, well, it's, it's, well, it's great it's, when you um, have the success, but actually being articulate in that moment and being able to make nursing shine right, and not that invisible pink work, pink collar work that everybody takes for granted that it's this invisible work that somehow gets done. Sure. I mean, I would tell you it's the same if you've got that win at the bedside or if you've got the mm-hmm. win at the boardroom table. It's that uh, excitement and that kicked adrenaline. Ass. Of, I kicked yeah. ass today and nobody really gets it, right? <laughs> and like I saved yeah. a life, only like millions of lives that I'll never meet, but this is what I know is going right. to happen. That's right. so cool. Right. And I, you know, I had a conversation with somebody once who told me, you know, it's it's one thing to make a difference in, in one patient's life mm-hmm. at one at a time, mm-hmm. right? Because that's all we can typically do. Um, but when you make some decisions and you advocate for nursing and then you propel nursing, you're, you're making differences in mm-hmm. multiple Many lives lives. at the mm-hmm. same time. And, and so, you know, to me, um, you know, I think the, I realize that most of my work is solving problems all day long. And so, you know, sometimes it's just like nursing. Yeah. Right? Reprioritizing. Yeah. I use the nursing process still to this day yeah. because you assess yeah. and then you prioritize, yeah. you formulate add a plan. Add and pie, then add you, pie, yep, add pie. Yep, yep, yep. Add Assessment, pie. diagnosis. Plan, intervention, evaluation. I always add pie. blanked out at that part. And <laughs> I, I worry sometimes. You and I are at the conceptual level a lot, Rebecca. <laughs> and do we go back and evaluate enough? I think that's yeah. if there's well, one thing I would say. you start with evaluation at the beginning? Right. You know, and like Not how are we going to gather our metrics to make sure that this cost-effective thing, yeah. So earlier in the week, we were corresponding via email and texts about, uh, I liked Rebecca's comment and word, administrative ease. As if, as if it was a, a language, right? Yeah. And I think that uh, administrators perhaps deal with uh, labeling, uh, 
uh, people and uh, systems w- within the healthcare environment a little bit differently. I mean, there, there's acronyms, for instance, that I, I hear acronyms. I'm like, I don't know what that means, you know, like, um, or I have to just relearn it, perhaps, um, especially as a, as a provider. But uh, um, so I, I'm, I'm curious, though, um, if you can't speak a little bit to that, Mary, but then also specifically related to advanced practice nursing, there's the the one label that is oh, don't like, go there. oh, I, I gotta go there because no. but, that, but this is but this don't is don't say that word. Well, you know oh, we but, do, but I, I do want to go there, and and that that of course for for our our, our listeners and, and and viewers like the 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 mid level care provider that that oh, that, that but is we're not mid level. There's I, and, nothing mid level about it. No, you're licensed right. independent practitioners. Right, but but the but. The that label is is still mm-hmm. out there in the marketplace. So, are you kidding me? Oh, oh no, well, and, it's 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 very much out and, there. And so, so it's an accounting term. So I think, but and then, right. So so it's an it's an accounting term. It, Why, it exists. What do you mean it's an accounting? Term? I think it was it, this, it stems from an accounting term because of the reimbursement. But his, it's a it, mid level it reimbursement. Has, so that's where oh, it came from. It had nothing to do. It had nothing to do with. It had nothing to do with the care level. Right. It has in a mid level term to. Um, because so, we get eighty five percent. Well, I think Oregon you get one hundred percent, but eighty five percent of medi- of the dollar. Right, right. And 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 by the way, making the same kind of uh, diagnostic deductions for clinically. For oh, your I mean, patients. all the decision making, all of the decision making so, processes can be identical to that of another care provider, whether it be an MD, a DO, etc. So, so the the, the and, and you 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 highlighted my point. So. So that yeah, exactly. that that language has indeed okay come in has has evolved to be accepted in in the administrative world. In, in my opinion, uh, that that that's something that is easily observable. And and so so my question to you is is what what does mid level care provider mean in uh, for for um, in hospital uh, administration? Well, it's hospital only, administration, yeah. right? Well, first of all, not realizing that it came from an accounting term, now I'm enlightened and I have yeah. a whole different, now I have oh, a whole good. different, a light bulb. yeah, light bulb went off for sure. Um, but prior to that knowledge, I would tell you what it meant was not a physician, right? right. So it's right. a mid-level, it's not a physician. Okay. And, but, but however, um, it, it's it's more inclusive than it's it's not just referring to nurse practitioners, right? Because it's referring to PAs, mm-hmm. it's a for, referring to MAs, and so there. So it's this generic term, yeah. Where then you know, advanced practice nurses start to lose their identity a little because the Practice Act for advanced practice nurses and PAs are a little bit. Different. Yeah, they're different. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Mm-hmm. That's exactly and so, right. So, mm-hmm. it's that sort of generic term, you know, and then you then you have to. Well, it's a system defined question. term, mm-hmm. not a patient defined term, no. not an outcome defined term, not a practice it's defined, defined term. It's not a practice defined term. And so, this is where nursing, I mean, anyway, so where do you. Oh. Where else do you I want to talk about language, Rebecca? You wanted to. I know. I, I, I think you that, wanted to talk about language and how nursing can best help out leadership. But we also need to learn the nomenclature or language of. Right. And, and I and think it's, it's going to be in outcomes and cost. Right. So that's in my mind. That's how to talk to administration 
anybody at sure. a level is an out yeah. and safety. Well, and then throw in safety as yes, an outcome. Because especially mm-hmm. as we morph in from fee for service yes, to, to value based contracts for yep. sure. Yep, yep, oh, yep. That's a whole thing that I would love to talk about. The value based contracting. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay, it's it's my wheelhouse right now because of wanting to move forward with the but where the care with, with the. So <sighs> I want to. As long as we got Mary, I do have a question for you more specifically. It's my contention that nursing's best outcomes are going to be in that twenty percent of the patients that take up eighty percent of the time. Absolutely. Okay, and that that's, that's where ACOs are yeah. focused. That's exactly. Which that's, ACOs? It's accountable care organization. Rebecca, yeah, and see, and like, it's, 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 it's an acronym, right? It's an acronym. <laughs> it's another ACO. acronym. It is. Yep. So the it's, accountable care. It, so so right, say it again. What's so accountable? accountable care organization? ACO. This was what happened with the Affordable Care Act, right? And mm-hmm. they put together this like, okay, you're going to band together for accountability, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the health home came under this. The medical they called it medical home, but now that we I don't also know why have the, perioperative surgical homes now. Okay, so um, anyway, it's my contention that advanced practice nursing, especially advanced practice nursing, if nursing is going to really, if we are who we say we are, which is the care of the most vulnerable, okay, and there's many, many people who are going to be vulnerable, and I don't care anything about their socioeconomic, I mean, vulnerability happens, period, but the most expensive person with the worst outcomes are the ones that I think are the most fun to tackle, because it's in this amidst of chaos, in the healthcare system, because there's tons of money going bleeding to caring for those people. Nursing, in my mind, now that triggered something for you, Becker. Okay, so <laughs> this is this is what I think is interesting because nursing can shine in the system in the care of the most vulnerable person if we keep into account outcomes and cost. I'm thinking about um, end of life care because that's course, where yeah, I'm doing my mm-hmm. next gig on. Um, but let's but, but, but end of life care is where a huge amount of health dollars for are sure. going. If it's if your end of life is in the hospital, right? Yes, right. Mm-hmm. and that's where most people are right. when they're dying is in the intensive care unit. But we ha- but those nurses have to be at the table. Yes, so they often need, otherwise they're the on the commu- menu. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're not at the table, you're on the menu, and. That is so often what happens to nurses is they're not part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. They're either intentionally excluded or don't feel that they can belly up to the bar. Mm-hmm. So with your example, with the end-of-life care stuff, I mean, you're in my, my wheelhouse here. Right. I mean, so... Yeah, you so, are. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so I, I, I see a lot of patients who are transitioning uh, from... Uh, uh, perhaps uh, an aggressive medical model in, in the hospital. They go to a nursing home... But they don't know where to take their their care. They they and, and and some some patients can't take full ownership because they've never been encouraged to do so. Nobody talks about it, right? I, no, nobody talks. Nobody about wants it. to talk about. And, and I've I've been in several situations in this current line of work where you have to say uh, uh, palliative care or the dreaded H word, which I say is yeah. hospice. And and, and that's well, now and I think they call what are they calling it now? Advanced care planning. Advanced care plan. It had, it had, yeah, right. Yeah, and so so it does. It does have other euphemistic sounding, you know, yeah. uh, uh, names. Or what are your goals? Perhaps. There's lots of um, yeah. We are yeah right. Mm-hmm. And, and so and, and and so when you talk to a distressed patient who might be having, um, uh, say for example, respiratory distress, and they might have a whole other slew of comorbid issues that are maybe inadequately being being managed, but they're in a in a totally separate facility outside of the of, of the the hospital, but they have 
this anxiety because, well, my doctor told me just to let them know if I have X, Y, Z, you know, symptoms, well, have, and, and then you read their record and nothing can be done. Nothing is, um, uh, intervenable for, for their, for their condition, but they've never been told, Hey, right. palliative care is an option here. Uh, hospice care is an option. I, I, I have found that oftentimes that, that, that falls on nurses at the bedside. And then, and now certainly in my, in my role, it's, it's, it's a nurse practitioner thing. Well, and, and, it, and, and, and it fits very well within it's wonderful, my holistic yep. uh, approach to patients because I, I give them the whole gamut of options and then I give, and it's, and it's no pressure. I, I make sure the patients know that, like, listen, I'm going to be here right. to, to support you no matter what you decide. Even if you change your mind a week from now, I'll be here to make sure that I connect you. Mm-hmm. And and that's and that that's also exciting because and that cause, and you can have wins you know even in hospice care which I think people view it as a as a, as end a sad of the road. yeah end of the road thing um, but but you can we all die we, we <laughs> all that, and that, we that all want to and most people want to die at home and so we're not gotten, in the hospital we've anyway off track let's talk are. for another time we've got Mary here for a couple more minutes I think sure yeah so. I, I'm really interested. We start. We got off track on the ACO thing. <laughs> and how did you learn all about financing? Oh, that's a great question because so many times, you know, when we promote nurses into leadership positions, it's many times we look at somebody who's very clinically competent and we promote them into nurse managers. And so, you know, we struggle with um, making sure that our leaders have the financial and business acumen. So part of it, I I did go back to school in St. Louis and and took courses um, towards my MBA. Um, So that helped. And then I just really partnered with the finance team and the, you know, anybody who could help me understand, you know, my staffing and how that impacts my budget and how, you know, the differences that I make um, that are my decisions to make on how I'm going to staff a unit, um, how that impacts the bottom line and then and formulating budgets and all that. And it's just, again, it's, it's a, it's a different skill set that you've got to have experience, um, in order to, to can't be afraid of it. I think we're also afraid of finance. Uh, yeah, you know? and I'm thinking about new new graduates mm-hmm. and nurses who are listening, who who are really good clinically and really interested, but they're also interested in the business of health. I don't mm-hmm. like the word business in healthcare, well, but though. but um, how healthcare is because you're Canadian. She's <laughs> 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 laughing at Although me. We, all, we, all, we all don't like the business, but it's like we're in the real it world is, here in the U.S. It is not more But I'm thinking about talking to people out there who might be interested in this and who, instead of thinking about going to be a nurse practitioner, about going and doing an MBA. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And adding an MBA to your BSN. Or MHA, Master in Health Administration, yeah. Or Nursing Administration, quite frankly. But Mm -hmm. also to speak the language and be able to get yourself positioned. At the table. So how do you know that you're a leader? I would never call myself a leader. Well, see, I think every nurse is a leader because oh, you're Tessie for says sure. That to me all I'm the rolling time. your eye, my oh, eyes good. at Rebecca. So you and I are on the same wave. Yeah, but totally. I, nurse is a but I see, I failed my uh, interview to become an assistant <laughs> nurse <laughs> manager. But I would have failed. I'd never even went for the interview, Becky, because ago. I never would have. Because let, let it go. Let it go. Yeah. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> 
Well, it's 30 years ago, and I'm still going and you still short get of upset breath. about it. I can yeah. see that. Just let oh. it go. Because yeah. I wouldn't, uh, they asked me the question, would you do what you were told to do if you didn't agree with it? And I said, of course not. Oh. Uh-huh. I don't There's, think any of us would around this table. I hope not. And so I failed. That's, they told me that's why Well, then that's a, a failure of the organization, Rebecca, so not I've to see the talent that they had in your work won. for that person. I, no. <laughs> I think just building so, nursing leaders is probably so where we need to think about. So what is a leader? We tell everybody you're a leader. What the hell does that mean? Like, well, I can just get t- I think that day. this is a discussion on theories of leadership and theories of, like, transactional leadership versus the old. Like, I mean, in the see, military, I, I was like, you had to be able to do push-ups, sit-ups, two-mile run. And you had to look good in your uniform, and then you had to be able to direct and do all these things. I mean, that's the skills-based of leadership versus the transactional, transformational leadership mm-hmm. models. Well, we'll do have to do another um, yeah, podcast a, on yep, that's nursing leadership. That's a whole other topic. Yes. Another, so if, if you'd have me back, I would love Mary to. Really so I think as we start to. to round out and close out our podcast, we need to be thinking. We usually marry our ending with some sort of tagline, like a one phrase that makes us think about uh, what we're doing this job for, what we love about nursing and our kind of our what we're considering our tagline right now. And so we'll do ours. And then if you come up with something, you can. If not, we'll just not even have it. But you're welcome since you're a friend of the pod now. Okay, fantastic. Okay, so, um, keep your eye on the face of the patient. Innovate, agitate, educate. And being a Canadian, I will say <laughs> keep your stick on the ice. I love, it. I love all those. Um, I would say, you know, don't be afraid of the next open window and the next open door. There you go. Oh, awesome. Thanks for coming, Mary. Thanks, you guys. Thanks a lot. Really fun, Mary. Thank you. <laughs> we hope you come back. We hope you come back. Well, I hope you'll have me back. I oh, loved it. Yeah. Friends of Flow is brought to you by NCLEX Mastery. Go to the App Store right now. Download NCLEX Mastery. And before you leave, if you could just... Share this with your nursing friends. Tell them about us. Leave us feedback. Go to our Facebook page. Tell us what you liked. Tell us what you didn't love so much. Be nice. But thank you so much. We really appreciate you.